Genesis 41, verse 45. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Paneah, and he gave him as a wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of An. And so Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain, as he said, as the sand of the sea, until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Aseneth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of An, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land, were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. May the Lord bless this reading to our uh, good understanding. The Bible says, one of my favorite verses, uh, God setteth the solitary in families, Psalm 68, 6. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. God setteth the solitary in families and uh, brings out the bound into prosperity. <clears throat> now we know that Joseph was uh, chosen to save Israel from something very graphic like this famine, but then ultimately by their religion. So we know God uh, chose Joseph to save Israel. Um, the question is, did God forget to bless him too? And we see in the scripture this morning that no, the Lord is so kind to Joseph and in, in marvelous ways uh, with the production of these two children who became uh, major players in the history of the nation state of Israel. So uh, I wanted to focus on the blessings of this text. We looked at the we looked at the broad, the broad spectrum of how God uh, works in the midst of difficulties last week, but uh, here we look specifically at the life of this one young man, Joseph, and God's blessings upon him. <clears throat> so we see in the sermon notes we see uh, almost every uh, ver almost every uh, heading has to do with blessing. The first is that he was blessed with Asenath, uh, the, the pride, the, in many ways, the pride of Egypt. 
Now, uh, normally we would not think, of course, in this case, a senath is a wife that he was given. Um, he was not he was not dating anyone per se. <laughs> you know, he was he had just been in prison. He he just come out. He'd just been blessed by Pharaoh's pronouncement that Pharaoh was going to make him prime minister. He may have even wondered if this would come to pass. Although, as a prophet, he knew something of its certainty from God's word that had come to him. But he was totally absorbed in um, in the uh, in his life of survival, having been sold into slavery by his brothers uh, there uh, in. Uh, in Canaan. And so he had no time to worry about dating, much less to actually date or to uh, make any overtures to any woman. But uh, it appears that very early on, we don't know how how quickly this took place, but um, it, it, it's treated as if it's an ongoing conversation that, that Pharaoh is having. Um, in verse 44, it says, uh, Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no man may lift his hand. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Paneah, and he gave him as a wife Asenath. Now we know that Asenath was the daughter of the high priest of, a, of the pagan religion of Egypt. And ordinarily, this we would not take this as good news if your son or your daughter came home and he or she said that she was engaged to the, the daughter or the son of a, a pagan priest, we would be alarmed. But remember, this is Joseph. This is a, a young man upon whom God had his hand, whom God had raised up to this spectacular position overnight. It seems like out of nothing. And so when Pharaoh gave this daughter uh, of uh, Pala Perea uh, into uh, jo Joseph's hand, we have to we have to be ready to grant exceptions in this case for God's grace. You can also look at it from the perspective of Asenia. Uh, she was going to marry the most uh, the most educated man in the world. Uh, in terms of uh, spiritual brightness the brightest man in the world. She was going to go from her father's paganism. Now, her father undoubtedly was very, very accomplished. He was one of the high priests of Egypt. These, these people are like the aristocracy of the aristocracy. We know nothing about him and his, uh, his, uh, his own carriage, but we know that uh, this is paganism. This is uh, uh, false religions. You know, the, the Egyptians... Uh, confused their God, the God, the idea of God or deity. They confused that with crocodiles and flies and beetles and different things like this uh, that that we could easily step on and def dispatch their life. How, why would we ever consider imputing? I mean, imputing uh, divine characteristics or spirituality to such things as this. We heard this morning an illustration of Japan and the. Um, the Shinto worship there, doing the same kinds of things. So this priest was undoubtedly in himself involved in these things, but now his family has been introduced to Joseph. And uh, much as with families like Nicodemus, um, who came to Jesus in the night, 
and, not, and even at that time not understanding the great things of the Lord. Uh, we see in places like Daniel, where Daniel prophesied to the Babylonians, we see where uh, a person like Nebuchadnezzar uh, was, was uh, prophesied, whether from his own heart or as he was filled with the Spirit of God, he prophesied great things about the Lord. Uh, the, he said that, uh, the, that there was no limitation on the power of God, that whatsoever God willed in the heavens or upon the earth, it was done. So we see over the, the length of the Bible, we see um, great truth coming to the pagans of this world. Ruth, who came uh, with her um, uh, sister-in-law, uh, Naomi. Uh, we see people like this coming from foreign lands. We see the Magi coming from Babylon to honor Christ. So from the very beginning of the scriptures, <clears throat> we see the... the um, uh, intentional prophesying by the events of this world, the intentional prophesying unto the nations, unto the strangers, unto those who are outside of Israel, that that uh, Israel's God was the true God, and that they should come, and that in the end they all would come. All the nations, Psalm 47 says, all the nations and all the peoples of the world will come to the Lord. And as we see incidents like this with the marriage of Asenath uh, to Joseph, we see intimations of this great truth. We see signs of it uh, bubbling up. And uh, when Jesus comes, he says that all knees shall bow and all tongues will confess ultimately to him and to the living God through him. So God has great designs upon this world of ours. We may be in a minority now. We may seem insignificant, but we are not insignificant. Part of the whole purpose of preaching is to raise up the altar reality of the scriptures. So that our minds and our hearts might be entertained by the truth, by what is going to happen in this world in the end. In the end, if, if you are someone who resists the overtures of the Lord, or if you're resistant to his call, or if you, you tarry like, uh, like Lot's wife who tarried and was turned into a pillar of salt, you see, there's no room for that in the end. Because everyone will come to the Lord. And so these, as seen it here, being married to Joseph is just a preface to these great days that will happen. And they ought to fill all of us with encouragement. That's why this young lady, this young Chinese lady that <clears throat> I messaged recently, <clears throat> that's why she is exhibiting such courage in the face of uh, going to police stations and being questioned this morning because she was associated with this Christian worship service there in China. That's, but that's, on the, that's why she can do this, because she knows that Christ has risen again from the dead. She knows that, the, the, that Satan has no power over the Lord. He's a created part of this creation. He's created. He's not a god unto himself. Yes, he can mess. Uh, he, can, he can contaminate things. He can persecute people. But what power does he have outside of that power that God gives him? None! And so here in this case, we take it as a great mercy that uh, God uh, brought this pagan daughter 
and uh, and married her to the 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 the, the man who uh, who's the brightest star in this world, the greatest light in this world was over him. And he did this to bless Joseph. So he blessed Joseph with the uh, this this daughter of Asenath, uh, I mean this daughter of uh, 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 uh and it was a, it was a great mercy, uh, and uh, evidently, uh, based upon the outcome here of these sons, it, it worked out well. And God blessed that which He had done. <clears throat> um, um, and if you look at this from Asenath's perspective, you know the kind of confusion that that there exists in paganism. Um, whether with philosophy or sexuality or affection or the roles in a marriage, you can just see how she must have been astounded when she was brought into Joseph's house and he treated her as as God had taught his fathers, uh, going back to Adam and Eve, uh, as God showed her how she was supposed to be treated, how what God's original intentions were. This woman was delivered in so many ways from the darkness of paganism into the brightness of the gospel through this gesture of Pharaoh. It's un- unbelievable. <clears throat> the second thing was, um, I won't dwell so, so long on this, but but uh, Joseph was blessed by the age of 30. Now, he probably... Had, had thought that he ought to be married before this time. He probably had prayed at one time or another about it. But in God's good providence, um, God held off for a while. But not that long. And from the age of 30, uh, this new life fell upon Joseph. We see that in uh, verse 46. And then the next thing we see is that he was blessed with two sons. Joseph got uh, uh, these two sons and ultimately... They, the names are Manasseh and Ephraim, and their names are um, their names are translated here uh, because Manasseh means for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. So that even as Joseph uh, had nostalgia for his father's house, um, he was not undone by it, and uh, so he named he named his son Manasseh that God had had helped him by helping him to be so absorbed in his life in Egypt that he he did not lament or just uh, pine day and night over his past life. Joseph was one of those men who could live where he was. He could live with God's providences, whatever they were. So he rejoiced in what God had brought to his hand. And then Ephraim means in verse 52, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Ephraim. Well, we know that these two sons... Uh, received an inheritance of land in Israel. How did they do that? Well, there was there were twelve sons, but the, the tribe of Levi received no land in and of itself. Levi was to receive a portion from the tithes of Israel, and they were to live in the Levitical cities, uh, but they were not supposed to have a whole state like the the, the other. Um, uh, 12 or the other 11 sons of Israel. So we know that there are 12 tribes that re- received lands. How did that happen when one was taken out of the picture? Well, we see later on that Moses tells 
the, in terms of the inheritance, Moses tells the people that in, to take Levi's place, they would take the other son of Joseph. So Joseph received a double inheritance from the Lord, and both of his sons became uh, the names that held states in Israel. So the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Ephraim. And in Ephraim's case, they both became major tribes, but Ephraim became even more major because uh, of the, the northern, he was considered the most significant tribe of the northern ten, uh, ten tribes. So Judah and Benjamin were the two southern tribes, uh, Judah being the most significant there. Kings were supposed to, they were prophesied to come from Judah's loins. And so G Jesus is traced from the Judaic line of Judah. Uh, but the, the, uh, the tribe of Ephraim became the most significant tribe, the most powerful, the most prosperous tribe of the northern ten tribes. Ultimately, we know that Israel sinned in this and that, uh, that uh, these northern ten tribes divided off of the nation. But in terms of God's providences, this son of Joseph became really, really significant. And, and uh, so he, they, Joseph, as, a, as a, one of the sons, the, one of the 12 sons of Jacob, uh, Joseph received a double blessing from the Lord, uh, emphasizing the fact that God can do whatsoever he wants to do. None of the other, none of the other sons could say, well, God, you, you, you're not being fair because Joseph's getting double the inheritance, besides knowing why, because they sold him into slavery. Besides all that, it just emphasizes the fact that God can do whatsoever he wills. And if God wants to bless his elect, even as he judges the reprobate, God can do that. Nobody, nobody, nobody can stay the hand of the Lord. And so we pray for God to have his hand upon us to bless us and to keep us and to make his face to shine upon us because we know the power of his determinations. And so we see that come out through this account with Joseph and, um, and these two sons of his. <clears throat> um, now, um, we know that these two sons, here's Joseph getting married. He has two sons within seven years. But we know that these two sons were not born for Egypt. They were born for Israel. They were born in Egypt. They were born while Joseph and his family, ultimately a larger clan, became slaves in Egypt in a later day. But they were not born for Egypt. They were born for Israel. They were to be one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so we see how God's pattern, how God's blessings uh, move above and beyond what men, men can, can say or think. And uh, then fourthly, we see here that Egypt was blessed through Israel and then Israel through Egypt. Now, normally we just think of, of the Israelis and the Jews and people that were part of God's people being blessed. But look at this. God, in this case, blessed this pagan nation through the instrumentality of an Israelite. Isn't that wonderful to consider? Isn't that fortuitous? Isn't that prophetic of how God will bless the whole world through Israel and then through the, the, the beloved son of Israel, even Jesus Christ? God has, two, God has divided the peoples into elect and reprobate. But God uh, is going to bless the world. So many people in the world, so many nations in the world, God is going to bless them. And he's going to bless them through the church of Christ. At the end of Ephesians, 
1 is one of my favorite verses in the New Testament where uh, the Lord addresses this phenomenon and just listen to what he says here at the end of Ephesians 1. He says, And he has put all things under his feet, this is the Father to the Son, and gave him to be head over all things to what? The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And of course we know that Israel was the church of the Old Testament. And so we see a prefigurement or a prophecy about how the church and its wisdom and its theology and its wisdom about the world, its worldview, if you will, of the first six days of the week, we see how that would be a blessing to the rest of the world. So while in Japan, they're throwing old dry beans up into the air to scare the devils, Christ has come with a new message. Christ has come with the truth that the, the, the devils are not to be chased away by beans, but they're to be chased away by the power of the risen Christ. And here we see this prophetically prefigured in this story of Joseph and, um, and the people. Uh, Israel was blessed, I mean, Egypt was blessed through Israel. <clears throat> and then in the end, Israel was blessed through Egypt. How are they blessed through Egypt? Well, because God brought Joseph to Egypt, they were saved from the famine in the same way that many other parts of the world were saved from the famine. So Israel was blessed through Egypt. Uh, Israel was also blessed through Egypt because when God forced Egypt to give up the, Israeli, the Israelites, remember what it says in the Bible. It says many places and in the Psalms it says that God uh, forced the Israelites to give gifts to Israel. God forced Egypt to endow Israel as a nation with its wealth. Basically, God, Israel was not a nation. It was just a, people, a group of slaves. But when they came out of Egypt, not only had he prospered them in terms of the population, but he forced the Egyptians to give them their gold. And so, literally, God built up the treasury of Israel so that they could be a nation from the, from the spoil. And he calls it spoil. He, he spoiled the Egyptians, is what the scripture says. He spoiled the Egyptians so that he might endow his people with uh, with uh, uh, worldly uh, endowment and power. And this is a picture ultimately that goes into heaven. The book of Revelation speaks of the, the, the nations bringing their flags and their riches uh, into uh, uh, from the uh, foreign places because God has, it's a picture of God has now blessed the nations and they're all bringing their cultural activities, their cultural riches, they're all bringing it together. Uh, as God consummates world history uh, with the power of his spirit. And so uh, this is also a prophetic picture of that. And it's so lovely. It's so lovely, brothers and sisters. How can we wonder if God is really powerful or if God really knows what he's doing? If God, when we're suffering, if God knows that we're suffering, of course he knows. All of these things are by his predeterminations. But he's going to bless us so often, not through the road of peace and, and ease, but he's going to bless us through our martyrdoms and our sufferings. But he's going to bring about the goodness and the blessings that we see here. 
Israel blessed Egypt, and then Israel, and then Egypt blessed Israel. But all through the power, it wasn't their, it wasn't their determination. It wasn't sourced to their ingenuity. It was sourced to the ingenuity of Jehovah, the God of the Scriptures. <clears throat> Uh, lastly, we see here in ver- number five that, um, uh, that the whole world was blessed through Joseph. If we see this in verse 57, it says, So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. Verse 56, it says, The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians and the famine became severe. So all the countries came to Joseph. You see the picture here. The power of the living God and how his determinations, his decrees work out in such a way. When God created the world, he did not create the world to let Satan capture it and take it forever. So many Christians today, the only thing, and so many preachers today, the only thing they talk about is heaven for the church. But they don't talk about the creation at all. God says that there will be a new heavens and what? A new earth. God did not, does not grant anything in this world to Satan. He, he, he's going to despoil Satan. He's going to convey Satan into a place of judgment and perdition. But God is going to do uh, new and amazing things with the, the rest of the world, with the creation. That's why John Bunyan, in his famous couplet of books, Paradise Lost and what? Paradise Regained. Bunyan was a Puritan and he understood the intentions of the Lord, that the Lord, if the Lord let the creation fall into sin, that the Lord would rebuild the creation, he would renew the creation. Paradise Regained. Uh, So the modern sensibilities on this thing just are not as, as accurate or as enlightened as they should be. But here we see that there are intimations of this in the story of Joseph with Egypt. The whole world was under famine. They all came to Joseph. Uh, Joseph, uh, who was in prison the day before, is raised up. He's given a family. He's not, he's not, uh, he's not asked to go through life without a family. You know, the, old, the New Testament says in, 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 in some cases that it's better to be unmarried, doesn't it? Paul says because, the, because of the world and its troubles. And I can just imagine in China today, I can just imagine some of the pastors over there, that they, they think that it's better to be free of families because there's so much work to be done and so much persecution at every hand, on every side. Well, Joseph was uh, amazingly involved, too, in the world at that time, and Joseph might have thought the same things, but God blessed him with a family nonetheless. And ultimately, that family became two of the tribal families in the land of Israel, where God was again pointing to his long-term goals. Israel, remember, Israel was like the beachhead of the world for the, for the Marines. Once the beachhead is taken, then, the, then the, the mission of Christ goes out beyond this, beyond out into the world. This is what I'll be speaking about in Arizona this coming week, about the, these plans for uh, God and for the people of Israel as they uh, did the task that God had given unto them. Now, this, this, uh, this passage is, has an even added beauty as we consider the relationship between this, as, a, as a, the story of Joseph, as a picture of a, 
of uh, the story of Christ. Isn't it? I mean, it's just amazing. Um, Jesus got a bride in due time also, even the church of Jesus Christ, even us. Jesus is our bride, our groom. We are his bride. And much as uh, this came by a surprise at the time, uh, so the world was definitely surprised that the Lord would swoop down from the heavens. In the midst of the ancient world, the Greco-Roman Empire, the world was surprised when this bride was raised up by the Spirit of God and made to flourish uh, because it was married to uh, God's Son, Jesus Christ. You can read about it in the Song of Solomon, this love affair between uh, the, 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 uh, the bride and the groom, and the groom and the bride. You can read about it, the, the, the extravagant language with which uh, Solomon wrote the, uh, the Song of Solomon. So Jesus got a bride in due time. And, but this, uh, this came through a humiliation and through a captivity, didn't it? Jesus was not born a conquering hero. He didn't sweep in with the angels out of the clouds and simply claim what was his. He was captivated like Joseph by the incarnation. He, was, he, he went through a humiliation. The, the systematic theology speaks of the humiliation of Christ and then the exaltation of Christ. And his, in his humiliation, he was born a baby. He cried. The, 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 the God of the heavens, humiliated with being separated from the Father spatially, being born a human being, uh, and yet endowed uh, like Joseph. And uh, Joseph had many sons, so did Jesus. And uh, Jesus came with the whole world. And if you remember back in Abraham's time, when Abraham asked what land he would have, and God says, lift up your head and look to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west. He didn't say, look to the Mediterranean. Your land will go all the way to there. Look to the Euphrates River and toward the uh, east of Canaan, and that will be your land. No, God gave him these directional signals. Look to the north and to the south and to the east and the west. All of this will be mine, the kingdom of God. And now that the king has come, our Lord Jesus Christ, we know even clear, more clearly what this kingdom is about. And he's called us to be a part of it, to be active agents in it, and to go about it with the mindset of Joseph, knowing something of the greatness of God and the wonder of his blessings. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank thee so much that thou hast been working in history, even as thou art working in the presence present. And we pray, O Lord, all around this world where people meet together for worship, we pray that they might have some sense of this in their minds and in their theology and in their worship. We pray, O Lord, for that day when all knees shall bow and all tongues confess that thy beloved Son is the one in whom thou art well pleased. And if we cast ourselves upon him, thou wilt be well pleased with us, for we shall obtain of his forgiveness for sins as well as his sparkling righteousness. There will be nothing more that we can do in terms of virtue and righteousness and goodness than we have already done in Christ. Oh God, our faith must be in him. 
It is only through our faith in Christ that we can obtain forgiveness. It is only through our faith in Christ that we can obtain the sparkling transcendental righteousness which makes us well-pleasing to thee, O Lord. Bless us, O God, with this vision, this spiritual vision. Cast us, Help us to cast ourselves upon the Lamb and, uh, and wrap our arms around him and cling with all of our strength that he might be our Lord and our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.